served as pastor. They also served as the Mississippi District uh, Sunday School Director. And then uh, it has been, I don't even know, how long have you been the General Sunday School Director? Five years that they have served our constituency as the General Sunday School Director. You recall uh, back in, in around the Easter time, in that time we, we do an offering that we, that we do uh, for Save Our Children. We had fun with it. We had SOC, Save Our Children, Pie Wars, and you were putting money in those big buckets. And uh, we, we raised, in fact, we doubled our, our SOC offering that we'd ever given. And, and I'm, I am glad they've here. They've had a standing invitation to come and preach with us, but they travel pretty much all of the time in that role. And, uh, but I wanted them to come. They're going to be with us tonight. And I know that while he's going to minister to us, he's also going to let you know what that Save Our Children money does. There's some incredible testimonies that they have seen over the years. And I'm going to ask him, whether it's today or night or both, to share some of that so you know how that Save Our Children money goes. But we want to give them a warm lighthouse welcome. Would you come, Brother Cannon, and would you minister to us? Thank you, Pastor Buford, and everybody say praise the Lord. Turn around and shake hands with somebody and say something great is going to happen today. <laughs> you can be seated. Amen. Well, I wish it was. I wish I could say it's because I'm here, but uh, we got an extra hour of sleep. Anybody glad for daylight saving time? I mean, daylight saving time. Hallelujah, Hallelujah! For all of us who like to walk early in the morning, this is really a cool time of the year. I can get up now at 6 o'clock and walk, but before I had to wake up almost at 7 to walk. So, uh, But it is a great joy to be here to come and worship with you guys at Lighthouse and to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. It's an honor to be with Pastor Brandon Buford and First Lady Sister Brianne Buford there. Some of our great friends, glad to see them and uh, be see a number of our headquarters people that are here, the Hardings and... Uh, and uh, also the Harrah's I see, and maybe some other folks. Sister Cindy is here. Amen. And, uh, of course, Lana, my uh, office manager, would probably be here, but she thought she was going to be a, another grandma today. And I think they put that on daylight saving time for a while. So, uh, so they rushed her to the hospital, so she rushed to Illinois only to be uh, pushed aside for a little while. And uh, I don't know when the time would be. She may not be back at work for quite a while, but... You know, really, who cares? When you talk about grandchildren, everybody needs to take a little extra time with grandchildren. Amen. It's also a great joy to have uh, my wife with me. She is my American Express. Uh, I don't leave home without her. And so uh, she is with me today. Great joy to have her with me. It's an honor to be here to preach with you today and tonight. Share a little bit with you about what God is doing. We have just got back. From Australia and New Zealand, I think Atlanta was part of the team that went there. And uh, it's been taking us a few weeks to get back to normal. I've been waking up 2 o'clock in the morning wondering, why do I want to wake up at 2 o'clock and do nothing, you know? 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, but I think I finally got it all down pat. I can sleep all night again. But we are very privileged to go to the Down Under. And uh, while we were there, it was sponsored by Save Our Children Funds. And while we were there, we saw 60 receive the Holy Ghost in Australia. Amen. As they would say over there, they would say, that was very beautiful. That's a beautiful place. And then New Zealand, we had 38, so we were just too shy of 100 receiving the Holy Ghost in the last two weeks that we were there. Amen. I don't know if that makes you excited or not, but it makes me really excited. 
Uh, one of the major things that really took place was that while we were there praying with uh, the missionary's grandson got the Holy Ghost while we were there, Brother Addington in New Zealand. And his uh, grandson got the Holy Ghost, I think 12 years old. Javon got the Holy Ghost, something like that, maybe a little more than that. And uh, just two days after that, the promotional director, Donnie Sharon, for the General Sunday School Division was doing a crusade or a revival in Mississippi, and my grandchild got the Holy Ghost also. So we're keeping it in the family, folks. Amen, 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 amen. Well, thanks for giving to SOC, and thanks for Dublin. That's awesome. Uh, right now, as of in the last four years, we have seen 3,675 get the Holy Ghost in our crusades. And so that's an average about, of about 919 every year for the last four years. And so would anybody at Lighthouse like to see 900 come to your church? I think you need to be in a building program, a larger building program than this. Amen. Amen. But it is a great joy to be here with you. Uh, please don't turn around and look at the clock. The clock forgot to decide that it's daylight saving time. And so if you do, you'll say, man, we got a preacher here. He preached way past noon. And so uh, my clock says 10-something. That says 11-something. So... You know, I tell you what, if, 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 I, if I get through before I'm supposed to, will you promise not to look at the clock? Okay, all right, good, good. Okay, all right. Well, I think we got all that down, Pat. Amen, amen. Everybody say hallelujah. I guess I left my cell phone in the uh, truck, so I, I, I was going to set a timer, but I left it in the truck, so I guess I'll just have to preach by memory. Is that okay? If you have your Bible, stand with us, and we'll go to John chapter 8, verse number 1. John chapter 8, verse number 1. Amen. John 81, it said, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning, everybody say early in the morning. Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto, him, unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Well, everybody say praise the Lord. John chapter 8 is a very difficult uh, scripture to read on Sunday morning. I would like to tell you that there is something really unique about this story and what's unique about this story is not really about the woman that was caught in adultery. That's not what this story is about. It's about something deeper and greater than that. And that's what I want to share with you. I'd like to talk to you on this subject, hope that won't let go. I heard hope mentioned two or three times already in this service. So I believe that there's, our world needs hope more than anything else. Pastor Buford, would you pray and ask God? Father, we thank you today. For your word. We've heard it now. I pray that you would allow your word to be alive in our heart, our mind, and our soul. And I pray, God, that you would let us understand it, not with just human understanding, but let our soul understand it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Somebody say praise the Lord. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord today. God is good. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated. It's a great joy to be at Lighthouse. I think we visited one time. We came on Sunday night. Thanks for the opportunity to be with you today. Certainly give honor to your pastor. It's a privilege to stand behind this desk and share a little bit with you. I think one of the greatest needs of our world today is hope. Can you say amen? I don't know. I've been telling my wife. I've been hearing and reading some of the negative campaigns about what's going on in our politics. Our politics looks like it's in trouble. I believe we need somebody that has hope. Uh, I don't know if you ever read Twitter or not, but I was reading Twitter today and looking at something that was there. And they were saying that Nick Saban, because he's been so successful in Alabama, he ought to run for president. And so I don't know. I think he's making enough money. He'd take a big cut and pay to run for president. But uh, I think our world needs hope. I think you already know that hope cannot be found in our government. It cannot be found in our stock market. If you think it's found there, you won't. Even, believe it or not, trusting in friends will not bring you the true hope that you really need to have. If you have a family large enough, you'll find out that even sometimes your family will turn their back on you. And you will lose hope in your own family. So I believe that the only true hope in the world comes through Jesus Christ. Now I hope this doesn't shock you, but I'd like to tell you the church is not a dealer of dope, but it is a dealer of hope. <laughs> Amen. In the scripture I read for you, I, I want to tell you this is my 40th year of ministry that I've been preaching. And for 39 years of my ministry, I've never touched John chapter 8. It's a little scary verse to look at, but I would like to share a little bit about, uh, with you, break down maybe some of the question marks that you may have, and to share with you that this story is all about hope. And it's not just about a hope, but it's a hope that refuses to let go. It just wants to stay with you forever. In the scripture I've read for you, Jesus showed us a little bit about how to have the right attitude, the right heart, the right phrase in our minds because in John chapter 7, Jesus spent the night in prayer. He was there taking time to make sure that his heart and his attitude was pure. He wanted to make sure that everything was right. I know he was God manifested in the flesh. I'm not challenging that. But I think Jesus taught us to pray was very important. That we need to realize that when we come to church, we need to have a right attitude. When we come to church, we need to have a right spirit. Amen. We don't need to have the spirit that if somebody didn't shake my hand, I'm going to be mad. Uh, we don't need to come in saying, well, that wasn't my song. I'm not happy. Well, I'm going to tell you there's times I come to church, people don't shake my hand. I, I don't like all the songs that I hear, or I don't even understand some of the songs I hear, but I came here to worship him. He doesn't even understand me that well, but I came here to worship him. And so somewhere along the way, Jesus was praying and he taught us that, he needed, that we all needed to have a right attitude and a right spirit when we come to church. I found out that as a preacher, as a pastor, you never get behind this desk if you're mad at somebody. This is the wrong place to be if you're mad at somebody. And since I don't know 95% of you folks, I can't be mad at somebody I don't even know, you know. And so I feel really comfortable. It's okay today. But I believe Jesus was working on his attitude because he knew tomorrow all hell was about to break loose. Everything that the enemy could throw at him was going to be thrown at him in church. 
Well, I'm going to tell you some weird things must happen at church sometimes because Jesus walked to the temple and he began to teach. And as he began to teach, there became the scribes and the Pharisees came in dragging a woman caught in adultery. Drug her right down front and began to ask Jesus some questions. We caught this woman in the very act of adultery and the law says she must be stoned. But what do you say? And so I know what would happen if that happened in Lighthouse that you drug somebody in here and say, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. I'm sure you wouldn't care about what I would say for the rest of the time. You'd be figuring about what's going on down here. And that's what we call in Pentecostal churches as distractions. So I'd like to tell you that this is quite a unique situation. First of all, I'd like to identify the people who drug the woman in. They were scribes. They were Pharisees. Everybody say they were religious people. They drug sinners off the street and drug them into the church and said, this is what they're doing wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, the scribes and the Pharisees taught us how not to build a church. They taught us this is not how you build a church. Now, I don't know anything among you at all. I'm going to be honest with you. But even if I did know something about you, that's not how we have church. We didn't come here to condemn you for what you have done wrong. We didn't come here to talk about your sins. We came to talk about a Savior that'll pull you out of sin and put you on a place where there is hope. Oh, come on, clap your hands. I, sorry, I, I, I really didn't mean to wake you up this early in the morning. Go on and sleep a little further. Amen, amen. But I'd like to tell you that this is what happened. And so what was so unusual about this was these were angry people that came in. These were angry religious people that tried to disrupt what Jesus was about to do. Ladies and gentlemen, personally, I believe the scribes and the Pharisees had decided if we don't do something, Jesus is going to win this whole city. We've got to do something to stop him. And by bringing somebody in here, it will cause him to make a decision. Do you believe the law? Or do you not believe the law? And so this is probably what happened. And so Jesus, knowing exactly what was going on, he came down and didn't say anything, but he just decided, I'm going to doodle in my doodle pad. How about it? I'm just going to write on the ground. And so as he wrote, they said, well, hey, the law says she must be stoned, so what do you say? And of course, we know what Jesus said, but... Since your pastor's here and he's going to Urshan to get his PhD degree and I got to be a really, really, really technical in what I say. He knows and I know that the Jews did not have the power to kill anybody. The Romans had power to kill and they could slay anybody they wanted to. And Jesus was in a dilemma. Do I tell them, well, the Romans, that's what the law says, so let the Romans kill her. But Jesus did not say a word until they asked him the second question. What do you say? And he said, let him that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Now personally, ladies and gentlemen, I think the scribes and Pharisees, when they brought this woman in, they had the rocks with them. It wasn't going to be just a regular show at service this Sunday. It was going to be some rocks thrown. It was going to be some kicking going on. It was going to be some elbows flashing here in a little while. Because they wanted this woman punished right now. But what they were asking Jesus to do was something 
that he had never done before. Now, I did a little search, a little research, if you like that. This will help Brother Harry out also. I did a little research actually in the Bible. And I tried to find out, is there anybody in the Bible, help me out, that ever died when they were in the presence of Jesus Christ? Just want to ask you a question. Just let you think. Can you think of anybody who had a heart attack right there by Jesus and fell dead and Jesus said, well, we better call the funeral directors. We got a guy dead right here. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to tell you, if I study the scripture right, there was nobody that ever died in his presence. Now, I don't know if that does anything to you or not, but it does wonderful to me. Because I found out that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand, there's pleasure forevermore. I want to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's the safest place there is. Well, I don't know if you believe that or not, so I got to get some scriptures out, all right? Anybody ever heard of John the Baptist? He's in prison. I'm going to work on the folks in the back, back here. I've never been here before, but I guess the ultimate goal is come in and hit the easiest seats best. Because we got more folks in the back than we do in the front. You thought y'all were getting out of it today. I'm coming after you, all right. John the Baptist is thrown in prison. Herod knows, he knows what's about going to happen. Herod's going to cut his head off. And John sends a message to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I'm in trouble. Cover me. Jesus, I'm in a bad situation. I need some help. But instead of saying those words, he said, Jesus, you tell me. Art thou the one that is to come? Or shall we look for another? Jesus said, you go tell John what you have seen. Go tell him you've seen and heard some things. How the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised. Just tell him what's going on. Ladies and gentlemen, this wasn't what John wanted to hear. Because when they came back and told him, John says, oh, okay. Because John remembered what he, was, what he had been preaching. John's message was this. He must increase. But I must decrease. You know, we got to be careful because we're going to be become a product of what we preach. You preach no miracles, you don't have any miracles. You preach miracles, they'll come your way. You preach faith, something's going to happen. You preach doubt, it'll follow you out. And so John was a little bit disturbed because that wasn't what he wanted to hear. And to make a long story short, you know what happened. Herod cut John the Baptist's head off. And uh, that was all it was. But my personal belief, Steve Cannon 101, that if John the Baptist had been right there by Jesus, could no, nobody could have touched him. Let me tell you another story. Did any of his disciples ever die a martyrous death? When they walked beside him. Did somebody grab him and say, okay, Peter, I got you. I'm fixing to stab you. Nobody even touched Peter. Nobody grabbed John. Nobody grabbed any of the disciples at all and said, this is your last day. Why? Because in his presence, there is a shield and a... Excuse me, I just need to run up here just a little while. I said in his presence, there's a covering... 
There's a power that even the devil cannot penetrate. There's a hope that's with us that will not let go. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord. Give God praise. For all of our great Bible school folks, thank you for studying. As long as they were with Jesus, not one of his disciples died a martyr's death. After the resurrection or after his death, they all died except for one. John the Beloved lived a long, long time. So I can tell by telling you that story that you're not a believer yet. I guess i got to tell you another story. How about the story of Jesus on the cross? He's got two thieves on each side of him. We know one thief's got an eternal punishment coming his way. And the other, the other thief's got an eternal promise. They're on the cross. And when the Romans came and said, hey, it's almost dark. We need to break their legs so they can die faster. And when they came to the thieves, they broke both of their legs. But when they came to Jesus, guess what had happened? He was already gone. You know, those thieves should have really looked over and said, you know what? As long as he lives, we ain't got a chance of dying. As long as he lives, as when he hollers, it is finished, we're finished. But if he's alive, we can live. Well, that still hasn't made a believer out of you, so let me try one more time. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to people in the Bible that believe like I do. Is that okay? Okay, here we go. Jesus heard about Lazarus who had died four days ago. You know the story? Are you with me yet? Just give me a Baptist nod if that would be all right. Yeah, that's good. Cool. Awesome. Amen. Martha shows up and guess what Martha says when she meets Jesus? If you had been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. You see, Martha believes like I believe. In his presence, there's hope. In his presence, there's promise. Oh, clap your hands and say hallelujah. And so Mary walks up. And guess what Mary believes? Mary believes just like me. Because when Mary walks up, he said, Jesus, if you had been here, our brother Lazarus would not have died. Nevertheless, in the resurrection, we believe. They're talking about the resurrection. And the resurrection was with them. <laughs> now, folks, I don't mean to be presumptuous. But if Mary and Martha hadn't have been on Facebook so much <laughs> and had been more in their Bible than they were in Facebook, they would have said words like, Jesus, Lazarus, our brother died four, day, four days ago. And out there where he's buried, I got 73 uncles, 83 cousins, 12 sets of grandparents. I got all kind of friends out there. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I'm just letting you know they're out there. 
And Martha would have came and said the same thing. I got cousins, aunts, uncles that's in the graveyard. But ladies and gentlemen, because Mary and Martha was only concerned about Lazarus, Jesus steps up to the edge of the grave's side and said, Lazarus, come forth and out of the grave. He that was dead came alive. Oh, come on, clap your hands to the Lord. What would have happened if Jesus would have just said, come forth? Anybody know what would have happened? Everybody in the graveyard would have came up out of the grave. You say, how do you know, Brother Cannon? Because it's already been done. Because when Jesus was resurrected from the grave, the Bible said that many rose from the grave and walked around the city. Can you believe that somebody said, hey, dude, I'm Moses. Good to see you. Hey, I'm Elijah. Good to see you. I'm Daniel. Hey, I'm, I'm Sarah. I'm Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They came and walked around. Because when he rises, we rise. That's why the scripture says, if his name is lifted up, he'll draw all men unto him. It's God's will for you to know you're in the presence of Jesus this morning. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord. Give God praise. Somebody shout it out loud. Say, I'm a believer. I don't believe you. So I gotta give you one more story and then maybe you'll be a believer. Jesus was in a city called Nain, a city of death, but he was headed for Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, there was a death of a widow's only son. And so from Jerusalem, they were on their way to Nain to bury the dead. Now, what you probably don't see, and I might be careful because I think I see it, but I don't know if it's in there or not. But I know how smart the devil is. I think the devil sent some people to tell Jesus, Jesus, there's road construction down here. You probably need to take another road. Uh, we got problems up here. You probably need to take another route. But Jesus says, nope, I'm taking this road to Jerusalem. And I'm not taking a left or taking a right. For if you know the story, Jesus came upon and he heard their weeping. And he saw the widow crying. And he saw everything that had taken place. And when they got close to Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, before Jesus ever put his hand on that casket, let me show you what the devil looked like. When Jesus got close to that dead body, the devil got on his knees and said, Imps, we can't stop him. There's nothing we can do to stop him. If he wants to wake that body up, he can do it best thing we can do is just bow our heads and hope he goes around cause if he ever stops now I feel the same way about, about Lighthouse and O'Fallon if he ever stops he's gonna do something like you've never seen or believed in your entire life and so Jesus sees the weeping sees what's going on and as soon as he puts his hand on that casket the boy wakes up. Now, I got a vivid imagination. I think he woke up and said, hey, it's time for a happy meal. 
I miss daylight saving time. It's time to wake up. Come on, let's get some happy food back in here. I'm not dead anymore. I'm alive because the hope passed me by. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord. Somebody say, I'm a believer now. Thank you, thank you. I don't think I need to go any more stories. So they were asking Jesus, I want you to just kill her right here. Let's just stone her right here. But Jesus was trying to let them know, hey, nobody dies in my presence. Everybody's safe now. I would like to tell you that I've got to put a little disclaimer in here because Pastor Buford's going to have to preach after I get through. Everybody in this building is going to die. You say, well, I feel Jesus great. You ain't felt him like you're going to feel him because a greater feeling is going to happen not here but over there because in this life you're going to say holla one day hallelujah over there and you're going to feel light as a feather because you're going to be like a feather come on somebody say hallelujah Muhammad Ali ain't had nothing of what we're going to have he may think he floats like a butterfly and stings like a bee but when we step into eternity was this what it's all about and I was so worried about how much tithes I had to pay or how much offering I had to give and how faithful I was about my church. Look where I am now. It was worth it. So I'm going to tell you, the Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. You're all going to die. Amen, amen. I'm getting closer and closer to death. Amen. But I got a really sneaky feeling that I'm going to be here when he comes back again. Because if the enemy goes after us and God's not ready for us to go, it ain't nothing the devil can do. Somebody say hallelujah. Well, let me hurry up so you can get through here. To make a long story short, Jesus started riding on the ground. He asked everybody, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Read the story. The Bible says from the eldest to the youngest, they started walking away. Probably dropping their rocks, dropping their sticks, dropping their stones. And walking away. Now does anybody know what he wrote on the ground? Maybe I should ask Pastor first so I get be safe. Any of you great preachers back there? Any great Bible theologians out there? Now I got friends. I ask friends. What, what do you think he wrote on the ground? One of my friends says, yes, I know what he wrote. He wrote this phrase. You've been messing with Sue and you're just about through. <laughs> Pretty cool. You would probably want to see that more on Facebook than you would on the gospel book. So I don't think that was it. Another friend of mine came with a very biblical answer. He said, I know what he wrote on the ground because the Bible says that anybody that was caught in adultery, both the man and woman were to be stoned. And he said, I think Jesus wrote, where is the man? That's all I know, folks. That's what my friends tell me. But let me tell you what I think, okay? This is just food for thought. And, and, if, and if Pastor Buford does something different, he's right, I'm wrong. But in my personal belief, I think Jesus started writing the original Ten Commandments. I mean, he had some good practice, don't you think? <laughs> he started writing it with his finger. Everybody sit with this finger. 
He got the swirls right. He got the indentions right. He got everything right. Because studiers of, of, of scribes and, and people who translated the Bible, if they made one error, they had to tear the whole page out. Because there was no room for one error. But when Jesus made all the swirls right and all the numbers right and everything correct, the elder says, uh-oh, we're messing with somebody who knows what they're doing. We better slip out of here before something happens. And from the eldest to the youngest, they walked away. When Jesus wrote the original Ten Commandments, and maybe it was number seven, and he said, lady, this commandment's for you. Oh, sorry about that. You say, well, Brother Kenner, how do you know? Well, he wrote it in the Old Testament. I thought it would be pretty cool if he wrote it in the New Testament. Still not believers? Okay. The word finger of God is only mentioned four times in the Bible. Four times. Four times. First time it was written, it was written by heathen people. Ungodly, unrighteous people. Anybody remember Moses and Pharaoh? What did Moses do when he came in and said, let my people go? He threw his rod down. What did the soothsayers and the magicians do? They copied it. And they made their rods. Of course, Moses' rod ate their rod. Second thing was Moses put his hand in his bosom and he brought it out in his leprosy. And guess what the soothsayers and the magicians did? They copied it. When Moses smote the water and turned it to blood, the soothsayers and the magicians also did it and it turned it into the blood. When Moses smote the edge of the river and frogs came out, the soothsayers and the magicians also did it and frogs came out. But when Moses touched that rod into the dust of the earth and lice came up, the soothsayers and the magicians says, we've tried, we've tried Pharaoh, we can't do it. But notice what the soothsayers and the magicians said. We cannot duplicate this because this is the finger of God on the earth and so from that time on every plague happened to the Egyptians and not to the Israelites because they could not duplicate it second time the word finger of God is mentioned anybody remember when the ten commandments were written what were they written by the finger of God now how could Moses be saved he broke the entire ten commandments he broke all ten well you know he dropped them and they broke but then God Almighty had to write it again with his finger. Now notice what happened when he wrote on the ground. What did he write it with? He wrote it with his finger. The fourth time the word finger of God is mentioned. I think it's in the book of Luke. I could give you the actual scripture. But they asked Jesus, how are you going to destroy the works of Satan? And he said, with the finger of God. Because every time Jesus was tempted, guess what he used? Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me, guess what Jesus said? It is written. I wrote it with my finger. That's all I need to take care of you. His word is powerful. Every time he was tempted, he said, I just, it's written, it's written. That's good enough. And he wrote it with the finger of God. Now, this is just food for thought, but ladies and gentlemen, Every time God's finger touches this earth, a miracle takes place. You remember when Adam was formed and when he touched it with his mouth and he breathed into it, it became a living creature. Amen. Anybody remember 
And my wife gets grossed out on stuff like this, so please overlook her. Jesus just spit on the ground. And he made a little loogie mud ball. And he rubbed it in the guy's eyes. And he began, began to see again. Why? Because it touched his finger. Anybody that touched his finger gets his power and authority. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I personally believe that's what took place. So let me bring it to a close. Here we are. You're almost at closing time already. It's 11.15. Here we go. All of a sudden, Jesus recognizes that everybody's gone. It's just him and the woman. And personally, Pastor Buford, I think this is what has really got to happen in every church to have revival. Here goes. You can say amen or don't, don't matter. This is the old pastor coming out inside of me. If you want to have revival, we got to get the rock throwers out of the church. We got to get the accusers out of the church. You should never walk in this church and say, Well, they don't look like they're living the life I'm living. Listen, you're not a fruit inspector, you're supposed to be a fruit bearer. Start sharing your fruit. I meet people every day. They don't look like they're ready to go, but I don't know. But I still got to tell them there's a God who loves you. There's a God who can forgive you. There's a God who can wipe your sins away. How do I know? Because there's a hope that's with him that's like no other hope. Come on, stand to your feet, clap your hands to the Lord. Give Jesus praise, come on. Hallelujah, I praise you. I thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. So, Jesus looked at her and noticed what he said to the woman. Woman, where are thine accusers? she said we have none but then notice what Jesus said after this neither do I condemn thee I want you to go your way and sin no more can you imagine how this person must have felt walking into a place here you see this is what Jesus really wanted he really wanted to get the woman one on one and let her know lady all these other folks out there, they're criticizing you and condemning you. But I came here to help you. I came here to offer you something that nothing else, nobody else can offer, and that's hope. Can you imagine how this woman must have felt? Looking around, how would you feel if they drug you up here and said, we caught you stealing, you've been cheating, you've been doing all this kind of stuff. Would you be embarrassed? Would you never come back to Lighthouse again if they did that to you? I wouldn't. I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't. But Jesus slips in among us right now and he knows everything we've ever done wrong. And he's not here to kick you out the back door and to run you away from Lighthouse. But he's here to help you grow. <laughs> he's here to help you be blessed. He's, help, he's, you, he's here because he wants you to know that when it looks like there's no hope left in him, there's hope. How you doing, my friend? Hallelujah. There's hope. When we walk into this church, I want to tell you, when I walked in, I felt a hope this here. Amen. I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't know anything about any of you. 
not interested in all that. I'm just letting you know there's a God that would like to get you one-on-one. And if he could ever get you one-on-one, you'll never leave the same way you came. The story in John 8 was we never hear anything else about the woman. Nothing. 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 But the woman Jesus met at the well, we heard a lot about what happened to her. She went into the city and she began to testify. Come see a man. He's told me everything I've ever done. Is not this the Christ? You know, that's what I like about this apostolic doctrine. It can offer hope to you that will never let go. You can walk out of this service and don't respond, but his hope stays with you. It just keeps following you around. I waited till I was 18 years old to get the Holy Ghost. Why did I wait so long? Raised in a Pentecostal church, 18. I remember going out some night, 16, 17 years old, doing stuff I shouldn't have done. One night I came in and the moon was as red as blood. And the first thing I thought was, it's over. Jesus is coming back to water. The moon's turning to blood. He's coming back. I'm not ready. But after that was all over, I could say without any doubt, Jesus put a hope in my life that wherever you go, I'm going to be there. Whatever you go through, I'm still going to be there. The Bible says if you go to hell, he said, I'll go there with you because he's got a hope that will not let you go. If you ascend into the heavens, he's there. He just offers hope to everybody who comes in. So I want to tell somebody this morning as I close, there's a hope that Jesus Christ offers. Your family may be against you. Your friends may turn against you. All of the folks around you may say, you'll never amount to anything. There's no hope for you. Maybe I could quote the scripture where it says, if in this life we have hope, we're of all men most miserable. But there's a hope that will not let you go. It will just keep following you and chasing you wherever you go. I think when this woman left that day, she said, you know what? I've never felt so good in my life. I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. But I feel like tomorrow's going to be a better day. I feel like next week's going to be a brand new adventure. I feel like God's got something in front of me that I just can't only wait to get a hold of. Because that's what hope does for you. It just helps you to believe that he's got something greater for you. Hallelujah. Why don't you lift your hands. Let's praise him just a little while. Hallelujah. There's a hope that won't let go. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't know what you do on Sunday morning. I, I really apologize. I probably should have talked to Pastor. But if there's anybody in here that needs a special miracle or you just like for God to touch your life, I wish you'd just step out and come around the front because I feel like hope is all around the front. Hope is gathering all around the edges. If you need a miracle, come on up, stand up front because hope lives here. If you need a touch from God, you need the Holy Ghost come and stand because in his presence, there's your joy. In his presence, there's your hope. Come on, that's it. Lift up your hands. Open up your mouth. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, we got a few people coming. That's cool. Come on down. It's, it's open for everybody. This is not just a call for sinners, not for a call that people that think they're lost. Just come on up if you'd like for Jesus to give you a little more hope along the way. He'd like to bless you and help you along the way. 
Come on, man, there's hope for you in the name of Jesus Christ. Step up close to the front. Get up as close to the front as you can. There's other folks that are coming behind you. Hallelujah, I don't care what the devil has dealt in your life. He's dealt hopelessness, but Jesus came to deal you a hand called hope. Some hope for the future. Some help for what's ahead. I don't know if I can make it or not, Brother Cannon. Listen, with his help, with his hope, with his presence. Hallelujah, you can do it in Jesus' name. Come on, lift up your hands, minister team. Come on, let's pray. Hallelujah.